You know, in most churches, everybody comes to the later services, but I think what it is, is I tell secrets in the first service <laughs> because it's not recorded. Or what's probably more likely is they just want to get up so that they can get brunch before the big crowds are, mm-hmm. something like that. But the nice thing about the second sermon now is you can spread out. You can kick your feet up and lay across a couple chairs. I'm going to share some stories about that later. You'll see. Well... We are finishing the book of 2 Corinthians, Lord willing, and we're going to talk about a sleeper. Now, a sleeper is like you guys that slept in to come to the second service, but that's not quite in context what we are talking about. A sleeper, at least if you're talking about it in the context of California, where I'm from, is when you get to the stoplight and the car next to you, it doesn't look like it can go very fast, and you're in a fast-looking car. And that car there is revving the engine, looking at you, giving you that little twinkle. And you're like, oh, there's no way I can beat this car. And there it hits the green light. And nobody would street race because that's illegal. But let's just pretend that somebody does. And that green light hits, and then you have what's called that sleeper car. Well, underneath the hood is all the power. And that thing just takes off like lightning, leaving the quote-unquote race car behind. Well, we're going to see... That Paul, spiritually speaking, is like that sleeper. The outward appearance doesn't look like anything. It doesn't look like he can go anywhere. But we're going to see where the power comes from. And we're going to apply that to the Corinthians as he closes out this letter where he has been talking about the Corinthians, the most eminent apostles, and his criticisms of that. Let's pray. Lord, we lift up this portion of Scripture to you, and we pray that just as you were speaking to the Corinthians in the first century, you would be speaking to us here in the 21st century. We pray that we would grow in your grace through your word, that we would use this situation with Paul and the Corinthians and directly apply it to our lives, that you would be magnified. Help us to walk out of here, Lord, fresh filled with the Holy Spirit, with a new sense of power, your power, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read verses 1 through 3. This will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time, and now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. And so Paul is not coming to investigate the Corinthians. He's been for the last few chapters making a defense of himself, a defense of his apostleship, his authority, his calling in Christ. He shared his personal trials, his trials in ministry, all to show them what the true love of Christ is. Remember, he wants to present the Corinthians as the bride to the groom, Jesus Christ, and that's what he's after. And in doing so, he is not afraid to confront them, and he's saying, I'm coming to confront you. But it's not about gossip and hearsay. He's coming with the authority of God. And so he uses this verse of reference here in Deuteronomy 19.15 when he says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or sin that he commits by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And so 
He is going to come there with the authority of the Word of God, and he's going to hear from two or three people what's happening, and then he's going to address those issues. Now, for some people, that is terrifying. If you're a guy like me, you know, I have no problem criticizing. I have no problem with the confrontation. But for some of us in here, that is terrifying. And you have to really build yourself up to be able to do something like this. And for whatever reason that is. But the Bible tells us that we need to be able to confront others with the Word of God, to have this conversation. And we need to find the power within ourselves to do it. And we're going to talk about spiritually what that means in a few. But notice that he wants to use the facts. Now, you may think this is just for pastors to talk to the people in the fellowship, but Paul writes to Timothy, another pastor, and he teaches in 1 Timothy chapter 5, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. You need to be able to confront those that are in authority. You need to be able to confront those that are elders or pastors or teachers with the Word of God, and you don't do it through gossip and hearsay. You know, people that are worried or nervous or don't like confrontation, they will usually use gossip and innuendo. The way they do that is they tell the person that likes to talk a lot, to share things, and then they get it going into the church. And then that person tells somebody that then sends a text message to Pastor Mike. He'll deal with this. When really you should be the one dealing with it, you should gather two or three people, bring it out in the open, and have the conversation. And because you're afraid of that confrontation, you're going to actually make it a lot worse. And we're going to talk about this. We're going to go down a little rabbit hole because the Corinthians, they look at Paul and they say, he's weak. He's the amateur. He's not that great. But really, he's a sleeper because here he is coming with authority and power to confront them. And he's not after a popularity contest. He's not worried so much about their feelings towards him. Why? Because ultimately he loves them and cares for them like his own children. We've seen that in the previous chapter. And he's willing to endure a great many things. Paul told them in chapter 10 that they were looking to the outward appearances. He said, do not look at things according to the outward appearance. If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, and we know he has that, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. Notice how it's for edification, the building up and not of destruction. Paul's authority is not to be a tyrant. He's not coming in there kicking doors down, punching people in the face. I wouldn't have a problem doing that myself. I'm a kind of a confrontational person. But that's not biblical either. He says he's been given Christ's authority in order to build up and not to chase innuendos and gossip, but to bring out the truth in love. And so I want to speak for a minute here, especially to young men. Now, what that means to young men, if you're under the age of 40, you're a young man now. I've just arbitrarily made an age. And we're under so much pressure in our culture today. If you're 41, you're an old man now. On the one hand, on the one hand, you have 
uh, people online, people in our culture that are in the extreme that if you're not sleeping around, if you're not driving a Ferrari, if you don't have a mansion, if you're not the most powerful person on the planet and in great shape, you're not even a real man. That's what real manhood is. You should be angry at everything all the time. And if you have any kind of emotional weakness, you're just a pansy. And you're being shoved this. And then you know the other end of the spectrum. You should, have, you should be emotional. Every bad thing on the planet comes from toxic males. And not only should you be emotional, you, know, you should get in touch with your femininity and wear a dress and change your pronouns. And you should uh, never be aggressive or assertive about anything. And you're like, well, which one is it? This is pretty polar opposites, and that's the language being pushed at you all the time. Now, if you're like 40 and above, you're like, well, they're talking to me too. I know. I just got to get you spiced up somehow. But what does the Bible say? You know, what is real strength? What is it to have power? What is real power? And ladies, we're not going to leave you out either. But specifically to guys, when we talk about power, we're told that we need to be powerful. And then we're also told that we need to be pansies, just keeping with the peace. That we need to be weak. And what does Jesus say? It's called a dichotomy, two seemingly opposite things that are true at the same time. We're going to talk about those things in a few. But let's back up a little bit. Paul doesn't have this issue. He is willing to come, and he says, I will not spare. In fact, Wearsby, he describes this even better. He says, I will not spare was his warning. And he used a word that means to spare in battle, like I'll take no prisoners. In short, Paul was declaring war on anybody who opposed the authority of God's word. Let Paul prove he is a true apostle, said his opponents. Paul's reply was, like Christ, I am strong when it appears I am weak. On the cross, Jesus Christ manifested weakness, but the cross is still the power of God. Now, if we look at Jesus, he is neither one of those extremes. But when we think of him, we have this different image. If you think of Paul's crucifixion, Paul's crucifixion, he was beheaded, but some of his friends were crucified for Christ. But when the Lord was crucified, you may, like me, think of maybe an old Catholic painting where it looks like Jesus hasn't eaten in six months. And his face is all distorted, and he's got some weird way that his body's twisted. And you may think, man, that is just the weakest guy. How could it be any lower than that? And I'm here to tell you, to the Corinthians, it was even worse. See, they live in the first century, and Christ... Jesus is some Jewish nobody from the desert who was given a Roman traitor's death, the worst death that you could possibly have. And when the Corinthians are walking around, this isn't just an illustration. They have Romans and centurions marching up and down the streets. They have Olympic games up the road in Athens. They have the Ithian games there in Corinth every few years. They have the prominent uh, guys and images. I mean, the, the bronze statues, the Greek statues that we look at today in history is literally what is going on, and they're making those things at that time. And you mean to tell us that we're supposed to worship that guy? Like God, no wonder they look at Paul and say, this guy's a big sissy. He can't be the real deal. Some people believe that he's bow-legged, that he's short, that he has a hooked nose. 
that he's weak, he doesn't get paid, he's working as a tent maker. I mean, how can this be God's man? In that time frame, Greek gods and Roman gods were powerful, they were fighters, they were warriors, and whoever was the most powerful, the most feared, was the strongest. And we're seeing the same thing in our day and age. And yet, when Jesus is speaking to Paul about the trials that he was personally going in in the last chapter, what did it say in 2 Corinthians 12, 9? He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You notice that? The power of Christ. You just, Mike, you just told us how weak he was, and now you're telling the power of Christ. How can those two things be at the same time? And then you baited us. How are us guys are we supposed to act? Are we supposed to be chauvinist, strong pigs? Are we supposed to be weaklings and pansies and sensitive? What, what are we supposed to do here? I just want to do what Christ tells me to do. Well, in verses 4 through 6, Paul is going to speak to this. He says, For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Verse 5, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. He was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. He's speaking of the Lord. Again, we are addressing the context there in the Roman world. Nothing could be weaker. Nothing could be smaller. Nothing could be less likely to be the power of God than the crucified Christ. And so, look at here. Do you see any young men in the church today? Where are the young men out there? They're playing their PS37s, their Xbox 12,000s. They're on their, their YouTube and their TikToks and their videos. And they're out there and all the culture is saying to young men to be like this. And they look at the church and they just say, no, nah, no, that's not, I don't want to go there. That's not where men go. They can't even define what that means. And they look at the crucified Lord and they say, this is it. And yet, they're missing it because we have the power of God in us just like Paul did. We are the sleepers. We're the ones that look like we're not mighty. We, We don't have the image. And yet, if we look at Jesus, it says about him in Colossians 1, 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Do you you understand what we're saying here? We're saying that Jesus, when he's on the cross, he is not a suffering servant alone. He is holding the atoms of the nails that cling him to the cross. He grew the tree that he is crucified on. The atom bomb, those atoms are held there by him. The biggest natural disasters on the planet, asteroids coming, the sun's fire, he holds it all together and it was created through him. 
It says, and yet he lives by the power of God. And yet he is weak and meek, and he gave himself as a suffering servant. He's not a victim. And yet he has the appearance of being weak. You know, I am one of those guys. I'm the very definition of toxic masculinity. There's nothing I can't solve with a bigger hammer and more force. I, I will just work harder, sleep less, push more, be ruder, meaner, push it. We will make it happen. But it doesn't matter how strong you are, you have a limit. Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, you can run harder and dig deeper, and when you're out of breath, Jesus is breath. He is the air. He is created all those things. They exist because He wills it. My heart beats only because He allows it. Mentally, spiritually, we come to the ends of ourselves, and He's just getting started. This untapped reserve of power that for some of you will help you to be able to speak in a confrontation. You'll be able to tell somebody they've disappointed you. You'll be able to have a conversation that you're terrified of because you have the power of Christ. For some of us who like to power through things, we'll have the ability to be weak, to stop, to realize that you need our own strength. We are actually weaker by pushing than we were if we just rested in Christ. This duality, the dichotomy that we talked about before, that neither one of those definitions for male is true. They are both false. They are both lies. Real strength is a man that will get up for the 500th day in a row and go to a job that he hates to provide for his family. Real strength is to be able to say no to temptation, to be able to resist the wiles of the enemy. Real strength is to be able to be there, using our racing analogy, when the rubber meets the road. I, I tell this story about when I was working at the, in the Air Force Base. It was just heavy equipment, nothing crazy, but there was this Army sergeant that was there. He had come from Afghanistan. And I, I'm just milking him for every cool war story that he has, because this is just the coolest thing I've ever heard. And he's telling me this one about this guy that was in this unit. They were in, in the infantry. They were going from village to village trying to find the Taliban, and they're kicking down doors. And they had this guy... And in his unit, he got sent back to admin, to logistics, because he was terrified of going in the rooms. He would never go in. He was scared. The issue is that when he went back to headquarters or logistics or whatever, he was on Facebook posting all of these pictures of him in helicopters and doing these cool things. And he was telling his spouse and the people back home that he was assigned to special forces and that he was elite and he was doing all these great things. And meanwhile, of course, I guess he didn't realize that, I don't know, it's on the Internet and that the spouses of the other people in the unit are going to tell their spouses and is going to get back. So he's just laughing and he's telling the story. You see, when the rubber hit the road, the illusion of strength and power was fake. When the rubber met the road, when it really came down to the trials of life, it was fake. Nobody wants fake strength. There's so many people that we look to and we think, wow, they've got it going on. They're the ones that we want to follow. They're the ones that are making it happen. And it is not real. Paul was the opposite. 
Paul had the illusion, the vision of not being powerful, not being charismatic, not being a professional. He, he was not on any of the Facebook pictures. Oh, here's me planning another church. Here's me. No. No, he was a sleeper. He just did it. And when you had a trial, when you had a tragedy, when you had an issue, he's the one you want. But the Corinthians didn't think so. Remember, they were looking to the outward appearance. And Paul is saying, yet he lives by the power of God. Christ is living on in glory. He is not defeated. And just as we are weak, we shall live by the power of God. Are you living in the power of God or are you living in your own power? Are you living in your own strength? Are you living in your own limits? I can't do this. I can't do that. I I won't do this. No, we have the power to be able to do things and see things and experience things in Christ that can't be done without Him. That's why Paul would say back in chapter 11, if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. That doesn't mean that he was weak. That doesn't mean that he wasn't able to do things. That doesn't mean that when the light turned green, he wasn't able to take off. And that's how it should be for us. I can't give a better illustration of this than from my own experiences. Back in 2013, I went to a senior pastor's conference in Marietta, California. All the big Calvary Chapel names are there. I'm there with my pastor, and my pastor is wearing a white tee and flip-flops and board shorts. And we're walking around, and we're, we're going, and I'm seeing all these big names and these big people. I mean, they have a VIP room for senior pastors. And I really did not like it because I, all it was was business and all the booths are trying to chase the big names and stuff. And you start to see people how they really are, and you're like, man, this just isn't what I thought it would be like. But I'll give a couple of illustrations. One of them was I was walking to go to the next uh, session, the next teacher. And the campus is pretty good, so we're pretty big. We're walking. And I'm walking. There's this other guy in a white T-shirt, board shorts, and flip-flops. And he's just asking me questions. I, I had separated from my pastor. My pastor was off fishing for a little bit. I told him I'd meet him in the overflow room. And we're walking. This guy's just really interested in me. He's just asking me all these questions. He's kind of interrogating me. What's going on? Where are you from? Where church you go to? What, how your ministry's going? And I thought it was just so cool. I thought, oh, that's a random dude. Kind of interesting. I don't go into the main sanctuary because it's packed out and I hate crowds. So I go to the overflow so I can do what some of you hopefully should be doing. I'm laying across some of the chairs, four or five of them, watching it in the overflow room. And they go to introduce the next speaker. You guessed it. It was the guy that I was walking with. He was the speaker of the conference. I'm like, what in the world? That is so cool. I want to be like that guy. He didn't have the image. He, he didn't look like one of the big names. But he was just a regu- seemed like a regular guy. And yet, there he was speaking to all the pastors in the Calvary Chapel movement. My next one is we'll go to lunch. We go to lunch. And they have all the tables out there in the spread. You get your lug. It was like boiled chicken leg and like dried scallops, you know, like the instant scallop potatoes that you get. Like at least when I grew up, I was force fed those things. So I'm like automatically disgusted. And I go to sit at my table and I notice, oh, none of the big name pastors are here. I thought it was because they're super prideful. It's because they're smart. They went to the taco stands instead, which is what I do every time I go now. And I'm sitting there we're all sitting there. This guy shows up. He says, hey, seat taken. No, no, come sit down. He's got a group of people, three or four with him. And it's this older guy. He's sitting next to me. 
And here we are cutting our boiled chicken and eating our terrible potatoes. And same thing. He's just asking me questions, talking to me, having a great conversation. I thought he was a really cool guy. Didn't think anything of it. Got up, threw my stuff away, went away. Well, when I get home from work back, in, back at home, I would turn on his channel and I'd watch whatever Calvary uh, pastors are on, sermons when I get home. And I get there and I'm doing the dishes or whatever and I turn it on and the guy comes on there. It's the same guy. He's teaching. He's not teaching in a big church. He's speaking in an auditorium. That's how big that church was. An auditorium. It had levels, y'all. Levels. Like tier one, tier two. There's that many people. There's a church down in Florida. I go, that is insane. You talk about not having the image or the appearance of what we would call the ones that have made it, of the ones that we would say, wow, that's a superstar, that's an amazing super apostle. No, he's a sleeper like Paul who said, in my weakness, I have the power of God the same way that Christ had the form, looked weak, and yet he is strong. And so you ask yourself as a Christian, where is your power from? What's in your factory? Who's guiding and directing you? I have to be very careful that I'm not doing things in my own strength. That's my number one way that I'll go to. I'll just sleep less, work harder, push harder, be ruder until it gets, gets done. Nope. That only goes so far. Oh, for some of you, though, it's just, oh, yeah, I'm just weak. I can't do it. I'm not able to. I'm not capable of. It'll just work itself out. Nope. Nope. We are both to put on Christ. How do I know that? Well, it says there in verse 7, examine yourself. I'm sorry, verse 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. You realize what Paul's asking there? He's saying, check yourself that you're even saved. Are you even a believer? Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Is he? You see, with Paul, we know that to be case. We know that from the previous chapters, all the temptations and trials and things that he went through, and that he put on Christ. It was the power of God in him that was able to drive him and motivate him. He's going to show up to the Corinthians. He's not going to take any spiritual prisoners. He wants to hear the truth by two or three witnesses and confront them with the Word of God, and he's going to do it with the power of Christ. Because he's not worried about what everyone thinks, but he does love them with Christ's love. A lot of those megastar, quote-unquote, pastors that were at that conference, some of them have fallen since then. The image of all these things, but it wasn't real. We all want to be with people that when we have to go and kick down the doors, they're there with us going through those hard times, not sitting back at some base, taking pictures and sending it back in, quote-unquote, glory. We want people by our side that are filled with faith and with the Word of God. Real strength is when a husband is able to hold his wife's hand when she hears that she has cancer. Real strength is when we have the ability to discipline our kids, to show up and face today, to look in the mirror and go through the hard times quote-unquote, when the rubber hits the road, when the light turns green, when the trials hit, are they there with you? My pastor was always there for me. And whatever trial I went through, whatever difficulty I went to, I could right now call him. If I texted him right now and said, I have an emergency, I need your help, I know he will be on a plane. That is strength. 
Who cares about all the other images? Who, who cares about what people think? It's what Christ thinks. And you have that same power within you. And especially to our men who are being told it's this lying image or it's this lying image. No, we have the form and the look of meekness. You might not be able to walk to your car because you're a little bit older. You may have gained a couple pounds. Things may be difficult for you. Maybe some of you are struggling mentally. In your weakness, he is made strong. You have the power of Christ in you. That is what strength is. That is what it is to be a man. And ladies, it's no different for you. It's no different in your trials and in your struggles. In your weakness, he is made strong. But I focus on the men because we're talking about power, and we need to know what real power is and how it is applied properly. Examine yourselves and see where you lie. And then in verse 7 through 10, it says, Now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified, for we can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be made complete. Verse 10, Therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness, according to the authority with which the Lord has given me for edification and not destruction. Notice it's for the word, by the word. For the word of God, by the word of God. He comes with sharpness, but he's using the authority of the word of God. This is nothing against the truth, he says. I can't do anything against the word of God and the power of the word of God. The Lord created the heavens and the earth through the words of God, and then he's given us the words of God. And Paul is saying here he is weak. He's a man, but he is strong in the authority of God's word. He has that power of God resting in him. We know in 2 Timothy, as he's teaching Pastor Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. He's not there with them, but he's going to confront them. He can't do anything against the truth but for the truth. I'll go back to some of us that just don't like saying difficult things to people. We don't like saying things that we know will disappoint people, maybe cause some conflict. I say we just to be nice, but I'm really talking about you because there's only a few of you in here that are very passive. See, I, I got no problem saying that either. So I'm just an arrogant jerk. My wife says, amen. <laughs> but in the authority of God's word, you need to be able to do that, but you'll do it in the power of God. And you'll do it for other people's benefit, edification. Paul's saying, I'm not coming to be a tyrant, but I got no problems for the truth because I can't compromise the truth. But it's for your edification. It's to bless and build others up. Just like our Lord Jesus. Everything we do, we follow in His footsteps. Now, we've had a long, long journey with the Corinthians and in their weaknesses, we have been made strong because of all their trials and problems. We have been strengthened and equipped and taught. And the same thing's true of us. That we are to be made uh, strong in doctrine, in word, in the spirit. Through the words that were written to the Corinthians, the Lord is moving in us. And so now Paul is going to close out this chapter, this section in verses 11 through 14. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be complete. 
be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and the peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Well, number one, don't you ever come greet me with a holy kiss. I will punch you in your mouth with a holy punch. The funny part is, is that my family is Dutch on my, on my mom's side. They kiss each other three times, the family and close friends, three times on either cheek. And then I will claim I'm American. No. But in all, in all honesty, they're talking about being close as the family of God, unity, unity in Christ, being meshed together. Be of one mind, he says, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. But then verse 14, he closes with this beautiful verse. It is one of the top verses for the defense of the doctrine of the Trinity, which is an, an absolute truth. In verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, the love of God, the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. It's just a beautiful way to tie everything together as they close out. And so I pray that today, and we're going to go before the Lord, you leave here encouraged and empowered to know where st- real spiritual strength is, where it lies, how we receive it, by faith alone in Christ alone, as He writes the Word of God on the tablets of our heart day in and day out. And that you will have strength to leave the day. You'll have a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit that when you leave here, you'll be encouraged and strengthened. And I know that we've got some sleepers in the fellowship. You don't look strong. You don't look charismatic. You don't look like a leader, but Christ is in you, and He wants to do great things through you for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much. We do pray that, that You would fill us with the Holy Spirit, that You would fill us and equip us and empower us by You to be like You, Lord. We pray less of us and more of You. We we pray that in our weaknesses You are made strong, that we leave here encouraged and equipped, to face this world with the truth of your word, the doctrines of this scripture, the authority of your word. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful week. There's going to be brothers and sisters up here to pray with you. Hope to see you Wednesday, and we will start a new book next Sunday morning. God bless.